This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name is James Gill. I'm joined as ever by my comedy husband, your friend of mine, the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man himself, Tim Lewis. Uh, the Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a comedian. As I keep saying, in time we expect and perhaps hope that it'll be people outside the world of comedy. But for now, we sit down with a comedian and they curate what would be their fantasy, dream, ideal comedy gig. For example, who would open? Who would close? What nightmare scenario that they've experienced must not happen at this dream gig of theirs? What are their pre-gig rituals? How do they unwind after a gig? All of this and much, much more. As you can tell by now, we absolutely love it. And, it. and it wouldn't be an Always Be Comedy podcast if we didn't have Rachel Paris and Marcus Briggs on because we know a lot of you guys have, have, have come to Always Be Comedy via the online nights. Who was at the, uh, the, 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 the tip of the online missile? It's quite sexual imagery, I apologize already. Um, but it was the Tuesday night club with uh, the maestros, Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock. Now, Tim, obviously, I've got to be delicate here, the global pandemic was undeniably a horrible thing. Undeniably. If you can get a positive out of the of, of lockdown, it was this, um, this would sound better if it was someone other than us saying this, and rather than us saying it about ourselves. But this online community that was created via the always be comedy online shows again I'm, I'm wincing that i'm talking about something good that we yeah I, I mean i'm tempted to bail on this but we are sort of uh as has become my catchphrase we're sort of in it now um but that that was a beautiful thing tim wasn't it the, the whole online thing it was a wonderful thing when you can't see many people it's very nice to have a community around us and i think rachel and marcus really created a community with their tuesday night club Rachel and Marcus, they sort of became like um, these uh, figureheads, almost like uh, I imagine in like some sort of dictatorship, people would have been painting murals of Rachel and Marcus on the sides of <laughs> on the sides of buildings. It, it was that sort of thing. Um, we've known Rachel and Marcus a lot of years, and so to see their careers uh, go from strength to strength, it, I mean, what they went through was was uh, remarkable. They, they do these lip sync videos. They were appearing on news channels around the world. It became a thing. Uh, oh my gosh! Off the back of the 
always be comedy Tuesday nightclub shows. They appeared on this. This is a thing that actually happened. They were guests on the Graham Norton show. They were on there with Sienna Miller, among others. And they were on there to promote Always Be Comedy and, and Tuesday Night Club. I mean, it was it was it was remarkable and uh, heady stuff. We, we the four of us will often say this, that before lockdown, we were good pals. And then by the end of lockdown, we, we were practically uh, blood brethren. That's not the right term, uh, but we, we were very, very close. In fact, as you listen to this, we, we the four of us have just celebrated Marcus Brigstock's birthday very recently. So we, we you know, the I want to sound like Vin Diesel in the in the Fast Furious movies, me familia. So if you if you never came, so Rachel and Marcus did these Tuesday nightclub shows, and we, you know we still do the odd one now, and uh, it would be them doing sketches and bits. They would end with the lip sync battle. I don't think I'm being ungenerous if I say that I think Rachel was probably edging it over the course of the run. Uh, they were doing solo stand up. They were doing songs. I mean, this was it was essentially it was a it was a a TV show that they were writing. Are they writing a new TV show every single week? And this is you know it was no wonder that people flocked to this show because there was actual format there. <laughs> they were you were you were properly entertained. It was a it was a lovely throwback to and I used to love these shows and it's one of the reasons why I love comedy it was a throwback to that those shiny floor shows that they used to make in the 80s like Russ Abbott Cannonball the, the, the big shows that would have sketches and routines and songs and whatnot uh, and it, it always had that sort of vibe but obviously there was they were also doing like political satire and stuff as well given Rachel Marcus's backgrounds I am not romanticizing the past when I say this these were truly wonderful excellent shows I, I always felt very privileged that tim and i essentially had these front row seats to witness rachel and marcus create these uh as i say almost like bespoke online tv shows each week from the confines of what was essentially a broom cupboard in south london and um i think after after we record this i'm going to leave them both a voice note because it, the penny it's almost like the penny is dropping in real time that what they were achieving was a a, a very big deal um they, they, i mean to quote dickens they were the best of times they were the worst of times i'm well aware that that what was going on around the world was awful but yet what rachel and marcus uh were creating maybe i'm getting really carried away here but um it, it was it was exceptional stuff tim i I hadn't thought about these shows for uh, a little bit. Um, and so when you're in it, it's, it's very nice and stuff. But looking back, it was a vital part of my uh, lockdown, let's say. Um, yeah, it was astonishing. They made to do 90 minutes, sometimes two hours of new material every, every Tuesday. Um, they'd have quizzes. It's the sort of thing we have like a chat box in this show and it would just be updating every second. People it really captured people's moods. It was wonderful. I've got to say I knew I, I knew my place because I, I I knew that with those shows I would be doing crowd work. I remember it's still etched on my mind asking someone on the the virtual front row a question and they weren't listening because they were typing into the chat box. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember. 
I, just, I know what I'm going to talk about in therapy next week. Um, <laughs> so before we get to Rachel Marcus, so Rachel is doing a mini Edinburgh run. Uh, how, how long is she doing, Tim? She's doing four days. She's doing the 9th to the 13th at the Cabaret Bar, one of the best venues in Edinburgh, in the Pleasance Courtyard. Superb. That's why That's why he's ABC, Tim. Marcus Brigstock is doing a slightly longer, longer run. Is that right, Tim? It is right. He's doing the 2nd to the 3rd of August at the Cabaret Bar at 7 o'clock. So, yes, that means between the 9th and the 13th, you can do the double. You can watch Rachel Paris at 5.40. You can go get a coffee, and then 20 minutes later, you're watching Marcus Brigstock. You're doing the Tuesday Night Club double. Oh, that's nice. That's a lovely bit of business. So, so Marcus is the 2nd to the 13th? 2nd to the 13th. Uh, Also, Ostentatious... Uh, are always worth checking out. I've seen Ostentatious and what they are pulling off live, improvising a Jane Austen novel um, while being gut-bustingly hilarious with callbacks. Uh, they are, I mean, they're, they're ferocious talents. And then also Rachel, so, so if, you, if you Google Ostentatious Live, you can check out their live dates. And then Rachel Paris uh, has a, a frankly beautiful book called Advice from strangers it's 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 witty it's hilarious it's very warm it's also surprisingly candid and emotional it's it's pure paris uh, rachel paris advice from strangers uh, available everywhere you get books and whatnot i mean that you wouldn't put the whatnot bit on the poster uh, also what's been lovely is a lot of you have been coming to and i say this every week but it's it's a beautiful beautiful thing You've been listening to the podcast. You've been coming to the gigs. We've got to meet you guys in person. Wonderful. We, as always, have a summer season of preview shows this summer, including lots of ABC favourites, such as Abanda Man, Jacob Hawley, Sophie Duker, Daniel Fox, Kiri Pritchard, McLean and Rose Johnson, uh, Reese James, and many, many more. You can find all these shows at alwaysbecomedy.com. Who else is doing a preview this summer? Well, none other than Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock, as we are doing Tuesday Night Club live at the Tommy Field. Uh, you can buy tickets at alwaysbecomedy.com. Uh, James, do you know the day off the top of your head, or have you secretly typed in alwaysbecomedy.com slash tickets to find out the date? Well, it doesn't matter. Let's not get bogged down in the nitty gritty as I scroll down. And I can see Tuesday the 18th of July. There we go. Tuesday the 18th of July. Uh, Tim, anything else to say about the Dream Team before we get them on? Um, no. The Zoom's about to run out. Let's <laughs> introduce the guys. It's Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock. We're joined by Always Be Comedy Royalty, uh, Marcus Brigstock and uh, and Rachel Paris. Before the lockdown, they were huge favourites at ABC. Coming out of lockdown, uh, icons. And, uh, you know, we, we were we were pals before. I was at your wedding. That was the level of friendship, right? We were, yeah. we were wedding yeah, yeah. friends, right? But then yeah. post-lockdown, um, you know, I was borderline handing my children over to you to raise them. Yeah, <laughs> and we you. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, 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 that was going to be a good swap. That was game changer. <laughs> I, I can hand on heart say uh, that the the friendship and uh, enjoyment of work that came out of 
this relationship has made the whole pandemic worthwhile. <laughs> do, do you get, this is a loaded question because I sometimes do, do you get lockdown nostalgia? Oh, huge. Yeah, yes. definitely. Like we, whenever I walk down, there are certain streets around the four miles circular from where we live, which during lockdown, we would just go walking for hours and hours and hours. And there's certain streets that I go down now and I'm like, oh, this was one of our lockdown routes. <laughs> 100%. It's one of the ones where we lost all our boundaries and would go straight up to the front windows of a stranger's house and just not just covet it going, oh, it'd be nice to live there, but have a proper look in. Yeah, be like, oh, look what they've done with that feature wall. Yeah, yeah. Should we have a mirror? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair as well. They've knocked that through, haven't they? They've, <laughs> through. they've gone they've through. through. You can see right through to the garden. It lets a lot of light in. Yeah. I'll tell you what, next door are going to be putting in a planning application to do their side <laughs> return because I can see right through into this one. And it's worked. I mean, it's opened the whole space. I can see their patio out the back and I can tell you they, that needs a bit of work. Exactly. Next door, haven't even touched a side return. All I can guess is they're sitting on it for an investment. I wonder where they are. Where yeah. are they? Oh, there they are. Hello. They, they can see it. <laughs> then so, as you turn around, officer, we can explain everything. Definitely nostalgic for that. And tr- truth be told, um, obviously proceeding with caution on a podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. Quite cool that there were certain people that you could go, yeah, sorry, can't see you, not allowed to. <laughs> you know, I think... I think a fair few of us have enjoyed particularly good Christmases on the basis of being able to say, yeah, sorry, uh, absolutely not available. But not us. Not us. I'm just saying theoretically that is the thing that could, <laughs> that could happen. And, you know, we, we missed Tuesday Night Club. That was a thing. It popped, yeah. it popped up at your suggestion. Ramesh had been doing uh, – that's Ramesh Ranganathan, by the way, for anyone um, – Tuning into the podcast, he's a comedian, and we both think big things. We wish him well. Big things for Ramesh, we think. Anyway, he'd been Watch this space. Some... You heard it here first. Exactly. <laughs> he'd been running some stuff in, and you were like, do you want to try on a Tuesday night? I think tickets for the first load of shows were three pounds a pop oh, or whatever. You're we like, well, we can give it a go, mate. I mean, And we'll I try. remember warning you, James, and saying, like, I'm glad we're doing this, but just let you know, we have got maximum half an hour. Amazing. <laughs> like between it, like maximum half an hour. So I hope that's okay. And that's why it would cost three pounds because we wanted to yeah. really lower expectations. 90 minutes later, as we as we tearfully said goodnight yeah. to the front row. An easy 90 minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I was going to, right. May I just say, and this is a, this is a, a compliment. If ever, so if, if, if anyone's listening and they they uh, they never uh, enjoyed a Tuesday nightclub, this was uh, I mean this had everything they, you know comedy entertainment. I mean it, I mean an absolute cavalcade. I mean it was a few songs, bit of blow. Oh, it was it was oh, short. I mean it was Chef's Kiss. I used to say to you, it was you basically put on a television show that we all that we all thoroughly enjoyed watching. I mean it was I, I mean to this day, Commissioner, how how. 
How was it not? But anyway, how was it? How has it been overlooked? For, so but, you know, many people say to us, like, you must have had offers from TV after that. Everyone was talking about it, and we were like, no, we no. haven't turned anything down. We haven't been offered anything. We nothing. would have snapped up, yeah, any opportunity. <laughs> we'd have we'd have done this at midday every day on GB News. <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, so we do. We really, we really miss it. I mean, we stopped. We stopped in Tuesday Club not because the uh, of uh, well, the pandemic. Let's be honest, is by no means over. But we've simply reached a point where we're like, okay, we've come around to your way of thinking, and some people are going to pass away, but we got to crack on. But we stopped it because we had our baby, and it was. We kind of initially thought, yeah, once he's a few months old, we'll be able to lock back in. We have done a couple which we've hugely enjoyed. But it's a different beast when you spend the two hours before prepping the baby for bed, feeding him, getting him bathed and settled, and then trying to do the show. It was just a just a much bigger ask. So at some stage, we'll definitely do some more of them because we miss it. But it's it's not what parenthood is blissful for the most part, but it's not as easy as we thought. What I was going to say was uh, I didn't uh, think it would be. <laughs> when I said well, well, I never, fin- I never, there was a train of thought, and I didn't come back to it. But the, the compliment I wanted to pay you was a show simply did not finish before half nine, and so you went mm. into it. You went into it, as you say. I remember half an hour top. So I'm thinking, it, it, you know, this will be done by eight forty, eight forty-five, and then as you say, as you, as you come on for your eighth encore, and pe- you know, pe- people. It, it, Another standing ovation from Jill and Ken. Uh, I think we all realised that we had uh, dynamite on our hands. So, so, so it, the, you're saying it might come back, which I think Tim, that is legally binding. That's the clip we've got. To share. Um, It'll I'm, come back when Billy's leaving home. Yeah, when Billy's 21 years old. Would yeah, you? When he I mean, can, when he, uh, frankly. Uh, when he's old enough to participate without getting overtired and emotional, you know. So I've got, I wasn't going to ask this, but you, you, we're, we're, we're we're down Tuesday night club Boulevard. So <laughs> you, do, I mean, is is a is a? I'm sort of asking this on behalf of a lot of emails that we still get. Is a weekly return on the cards? But but if 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 so, we're talking a long way away. Yeah, a weekly return is absolutely not practical at uh, at the moment. But in years to come, yeah, you can say yeah. what might be possible. Yeah, the reaction you guys got for those Tuesday night club shows was uh, it it was positively overwhelming, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it, was it, gen- it genuinely was. I mean, it brought us to tears on, on many occasions. Oh yeah, the first Christmas one we tried to do. I mean, I was. It was an absolute mock. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. We tried to sing it out, and I couldn't. I couldn't do that. No, it was. It was huge, and I. I think. Um, I think there was something very connected about it. You know, we we hung a big spangly curtain behind us every time we did the show because, and we stood up, for example because those things make a difference when you're delivering, especially on Zoom. And we were very careful about that and that it should be a show. And we'd often have a little prop or something just to make it be a show. But it was also a very um, a very connected, you know, come into our house, come and be with us. Absolutely, yeah. Like the fact that that audience 
from when we started to when we finished saw us through oh my gosh you know jobs coming going yeah. through two pregnancies through mm. having a baby mm. like me not being able to stand up yeah. to do the show when I yeah. was like seven to nine months pregnant not being able to blow the melodica so oh, yeah. <laughs> so we'd play the melodica for those who don't see didn't see the show like we'd do a melodica quiz music quiz and um you have to blow the melodica to make it work and press the notes I had to do the puffing and yeah but, but after seven months pregnant I didn't have enough puff yeah. so Marcus had to reach over and blow, blow I regularly got told off for overpuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did yeah massive overpuffs yeah on the melodica too much and then often you know over blue early doors and that had nothing left nothing left in uh, the tank and our audience you know we we saw their lives change as well yeah. you know we they were just little faces on a screen but chatting to them and seeing like oh who's in the picture what's going on with Absolutely. your life their jobs coming and going there were such personal connections then being out on tour this year I've met quite a few of them IRL um, and it's been absolutely magical to me yeah, so, to, give, to, give, to give Ruthie like a massive hug was the best feeling in the world. Yeah, so great. That's so lovely. We, we've had quite a few coming into the Tommy Field and I, uh, a couple of times I've, I've, I've been speaking and nodding and listening, but on the inside I'm, I am crying my eyes out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You're a big, you're absolutely uh, uh, leaky as fuck. You're as leaky oh, as You're as leaky as, as I am. Dread. So bad. There's a there's a there's a young, a young lad who uh, sits on the front row, and it turns out he's he's from the village uh, in Yorkshire, Home Firth, where I spent uh, a, a chunk of my childhood. And him and his dad travelled from Home Firth to the Tommyfield for a gig, and they'd Aww. got a load of Home Firth souvenirs. And this lad, Tim, I think I think I think sixteen, maybe maybe seventeen, but I think sixteen. I'm 43, and I didn't want to cry in front of the 16-year-old. And as he hands over, oh my god, you've gone, <laughs> you've gone, you've gone. To, this, to this 16-year-old has has like got me a more thoughtful gift than any <laughs> member of my family ever. And so that, and, I've, and I'm I'm standing. He sat down. Him and his dad have sat down. And I'm looking at these souvenirs. I can't let them know that that you know tears are like cascading. So I'm just going, oh, th- thanks very much. And I have to get, I have to get out of there. And then behind the bar, I'm like, um, but yeah, there've been like nice moments that, apart from the cry, but those moments have been lovely, haven't they? Mm, yeah, so nice. and really, really important, you know. And and also, Tuesday Night Club has been so important for us creatively, you know. Yeah, like. We we do make each other laugh a hell of a lot. We uh, mercifully uh, yeah. still find each other extremely funny. Mm. Uh, but it was really nice, kind of exploring that and seeing. Well, okay, so what happens? You know, as we learned as how act. to double act, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It was a skill that we sort of could sort of do yeah. at the start of yeah. lockdown, and then we got much better at. Mm. Uh, and we would need, if we did it again, we'd need to practice again, I think. Because yeah. it is like a skill that you mm. that you hone. But I find it, as so many people said to me about the club, they said, oh, you must have, you know, doing that for a year, you must have come out of that with like hours of stand-up material. <laughs> we were it's like, so weird. None. Yeah, it's just weird how little of it was usable. Yeah, because it but was so in the moment. It was about exactly. that week. It was yeah. fleeting, and that was what those what people. was good about it. Yeah. And those people, mm. uh, and very little of it could carry forward. Yeah, 
I wrote to, I wrote topical jokes on a, a show recently, and you're writing pages and pages of topical gags. But you're absolutely right. Once that pretty much once that week is over, yeah, you may as well set fire to those pieces of paper. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who remembers absolutely. this from? Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, forcing. Uh, I've done that many times. Like forcing yes. uh, a, a yes. memory of of a new story. Uh, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a. There's a um, that was <laughs> the indiscreet. There's a comic who used to do a routine about indecent proposal, and he'd he'd talk about indecent proposal. The eighties film indecent proposal. That's right. And then, proposal. and then and then he'd go. Uh, I see indecent proposal's been uh, it's been released on VHS. Come on, and then mate. He'd go. Come um, on, mate. Then he'd go. It's out on DVD. Then he'd go, Blu-ray. it's great. Yeah, Blu-ray. Then he'd go, it's great now because you can get all the old films again. Do you remember in one, one that popped up the other day is Indecent Proposal? And we, we were like, all of us were like, bless it. It was a very funny routine. It was hilarious when he got there. But, but, but we were always like, mate, the lengths you are going to, to get everybody where you need them to be, you could easily write a thing about a new film. Bless him. I'd like to think he's still doing it. I've delivered see, uh, names. See, see, Robert Redford turned 83 this week. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's exactly where he's going. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of that uh, <laughs> sandy-haired charmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, see, uh, I see Ben Affleck and J-Lo are back together again, which certainly reminds me of 2002. <laughs> <laughs> Desperately looking for someone on a, a hen party in the audience going, so... Um, the proposal must have actually. Speaking of proposals, <laughs> Rachel, the book is out. I've read the book. It is essential reading. It will make your heart swell. You will roll a tear. It's got that book has got. I'm, I won't swear. Everything. So, so if you're not if you've not bought the book, buy the book. Rachel will also be performing with the almost frustratingly talented Ostentatious. I've seen Ostentatious a couple of times, and you have that moment of like. Motherfucker, how are they pulling this out of their ass? But they do it night after night. I love that you censored yourself a few minutes ago, but then went motherfucker. <laughs> I, felt, I felt I bought the trust. It's yeah. different. Yeah, totally. Earned it. Earned it. Uh, in, in a second. I'm the same. I mean, I've improvised with, with pretty much everybody who takes part in Ostentatious. And I still go to Ostentatious and watch it and go, wait a minute. How are you doing that? <laughs> How are you doing that? I mean, I'm not up the uh, up the uh, those people that leave go. Well, I think it was probably scripted, actually. Oh, I think there's good. I mean, like, I tell you, we got we did a show in Brighton a few years ago on tour, and it wasn't even that good a show. Like it was, it was everyone enjoyed it. Everyone had a good time, but like it was not a, a one of those. We do the odd show where it really is like seamless, emotional hilarious perfection even though it's improvised you, that you, you sometimes tie it up in the bow at the end you tie it up in the bow at the end there's a counterplot going on yeah. there's an undercurrent under here everything comes together somehow um this was uh not one of those shows it was absolutely good it was great but it wasn't like that and we got an email from someone afterwards furious complaining uh saying I am incensed that you insist on still pretending this 
that it's improvised. It is so obvious that it's not improvised, <laughs> that it's insulting that you keep pretending this. You obviously decide the plot in advance um, and then just hang a title on it. And they'd only been to one show and there was no right of reply to go like, come, come again. Because we didn't want them to come again. They were horrible. But you want to go like, you'll know that's not true if you come to another show and then another one, like we've got people who've come to Ostentatious by now 50 times. For sure. Over 12 years. Yeah. And yeah. we'll never have seen the same show. 100%. So, and also when do you think we're doing that scripting and learning it off by heart? <laughs> Six people scripting a new, on tour, spending the day scripting a new play and learning the words to perform that night. What? Can I just say, this is one of the many reasons why Rachel and I are, are such good friends, because this story doesn't involve me in any way, but I am absolutely fucking incensed. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will carry this story with me for the rest of my life. And Rachel got an email from somebody who thought ostent ostentatious was scripted. What is right, you know? Oh, I forgot to say as well, they said, so we took a suggestion. We always take like a few suggestions from the audience for the title. And we took a nine-year-old girl's suggestion for the title. It was very cute. And this person said, also, awful that you installed a stooge no, in the audience. No, no, no. <laughs> we were like, what, that child? That uh, incredible. Get back in the van. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in Norwich tomorrow. Come on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Right, so I mean, there are, I can bear, I can barely think of two two better people to to curate uh, a, a fantasy gig. So b b before we start, do you guys have any pre-gig rituals? So my last big tour was Devil May Care, where I was the devil, glued horns to my head, painted my whole head red, my hands, and all the rest of it. And I'd never done anything as ritualistic as that, and I it turns out loved it. I loved it. I loved the process of doing that, especially when I was out on tour. I was on, on the road with Rob Rouse, who is 
one of the world's great, great people. He's such a joy to spend time with. Rob would go on and then I'd have a good 45 minutes to get myself made up, ready for the show. So that was became very ritualistic. And at the end of the show, washing it all off, I think it was psychologically really helpful for me as well, because it's Amazing. quite weird how you carry gigs with you. But no, generally, I find uh, I've I find very often that within five minutes of being about to go on stage, my body goes, you'll have a poo now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, which I think is a very sane physical response. Your body's like you're about to enter something that is potentially traumatic and difficult. Harm could come to you. We will empty. And so I've I've very often been <laughs> sitting on the loo as my name is, <laughs> is announced. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I'd say something a bit less grim and more positive is I write um, gratitude lists. Yes, please. Uh, I'm saying that I haven't been doing it nearly as much recently and I really must get back to it uh, because it's a very, very, very good way of starting the day. I write 10 things that I'm grateful for and uh, it's really helpful. It's just a really helpful psychological thing. And one of the things that I do now, which is it's like a prayer, is just before I go on stage, I think about the people who've come to see the show and what it's taken for them to be there. So some will have had to get a babysitter, some will have travelled, some will have come straight from work, some will have had a row because only one of them booked it and wanted to be there and the other one would rather be anywhere else. But I go through a few, like, deep gratitude for them being there. And I find it very, very helpful. And it's not like now I've got to give them the best show of their lives. It's just like this is so lovely and I'm so blessed to be able to to do this, that these people want to see this show. And it's meant in Edinburgh, for example, on quiet nights, uh, and there can be some, that they feel just as good as the, as the full nights because you're still like, this is so great. You know, this is so beautiful that these people chose. Of all the shows in Edinburgh, they chose to come and spend this time with me. And I found that it's made my comedy much better. It, it, it means I offer the show up on a flat hand rather than going, like feeding a horse. Eat my comedy, like feeding a horse. Yeah. And also, because I, I do the exact same, right? Tom Allen, to, I told Tom Allen this. He, God bless him, bought me a, a leather bound uh, notepad with mm. my name on it so that before I do a gig, he knows that I'm writing down my, my lists and all that. But it just, oh, gets you, it just gets your game face on, doesn't it? Totally. Totally. And, and in, a, in a very, I think very positive way because there are lots of ways to get a game face on. You can pace, you can jump up and down, you can jump a bit, you can slap yourself and go, come on. So I've never done a gig without meticulously planning the bits I'll do in it, even if it's, I suppose, tour show. Yeah, I know what's going to be, although I still have it written down. What um, a square. <laughs> so <laughs> any gig that's not a tour show, I... I haven't, I, I still plan, try and plan exactly what bits of material to pull from everything I've got and plan them and write them on the back of my hand. Yeah. Even if, it's, even if I don't really need to write it on the back of my hand, I always, always write it on the back of my hand and I would freak out. Even if I don't look at my hand, which I often don't, I would freak out if it wasn't written on the back of my hand, as if my brain would just go completely empty uh, on stage. 
Um, also, the makeup thing is huge. Um, being left alone to do my makeup, whether that's um, on the train on the way there. You know, I used to do it on the tube. I used to do pre-COVID, I used to do full face makeup on the tube from 0 to 60. Um, but putting the makeup on is definitely part of it. And yeah, like Al Murray, being left alone, really, like I don't do the physical psyching up. I've tried that and it just felt really weird. It just yeah. felt like someone else was doing it. Um, I just need to sort of be left alone to just sort of think about think about what you're about to do mm. um so and often because I'm often doing songs to literally go through the lyrics in my head and go have you got the lyrics have you got the chords do you know them because they do go they do disappear um so yeah I sort of like plan and write it on my hand and make up and those are those are probably it I will the, the writing on the hand thing I I will always write who, who if I'm seeing, I'll write who's on on the back of my hand. Because about 10 years ago, Nick, Nick Helm, a very dear friend of all the people for this to happen, he was headlining. This was a uh, Tyrone Atkins gig, Central London. I went, and now, please welcome. And my brain just went, <laughs> oh, I, my I can't, God. Can't. You know, your friend, you can't remember his name. And and the, like the not even the 11th hour, like the 13th hour, I've managed to blurt out Nick Helm. But ever since then... So I'm with you there. In fact, you can probably see that's from a warm up the other night. <laughs> yeah. Still on there. Have you, have you ever done the uh, the shout through where you go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together, world champ, please welcome Get the clapping louder, 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 louder. please. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that as pre-show rituals go, I remember many, many years ago being on with Dominic Holland and we did a run of Christmas gigs at Jonglers and they got, as we got nearer to Christmas, more and more awful. They were less playable every night. They were absolutely horrendous. And we would all sort of walk out of the dressing room at the same time in a way that comics tend not to because we were slightly clinging to each other because it was, it was that bad. And I started doing this thing going, come on, let's want this. Let's, let's want, want this, this team as a, just to sort of make everybody laugh, you know, and Dominic told me a very pleasing thing, which, which is that they still do that in the Holland household, including, <laughs> including Spider-Man, who is his, his uh, Tom, that they will still regularly go, come on, let's want this. And I just, I find that absolutely oh. thrilling. The, the real world, amazing Spider-Man. Uh, occasionally he and his dad go, let's want this. Oh, that's so lovely. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, w wonderful. So, uh, who, so who would MC this gig? Who would be your MC for the gig? You. You no, no, bloody I'm, guys. I'm not going to smoke up your ass. I've, uh, uh, well, I'm going to. I've, I've been introduced in a room by so many comedians over the years, and you are in a small and select group of people that can really make an audience laugh, but also understands about setting the room so that it's this, it's this welcome, yeah. happy Warm. place. It, it, loads of good comics are capable of getting the audience to go, Aah! but then there's a, as a comedian, you come on and really you've got the word hello as your, you can't go straight into 
with or without you, you know, why do yeah. I have you do something? And that one as well, very, quite very a low-key one. But do you know what I mean? Uh, so I think I think that's a rare skill. So I would, I'd pick you. Sorry. So would I. That's very kind. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much. I'll start crying again like it's like someone mentioned home for <laughs> Earth. Ugh. Well, I mean, may I just say, I mean, you know, the, the, what a privilege it is to always bring you guys on and then as a comedy fan to then uh, watch you guys from the side. It's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you. Who, who would be our opener? It's about the order, isn't it? Um, Sarah Keyworth. Funny. Great shout. Funny, funny. Great shout. Funny, great stage presence, great writing. Like, really good energy, just fantastic material, Mm. hilarious, like, Mm. so funny. Mm. Um, Like, yeah, I think she'd be a cracking opener. I tell you, there's a guy called William Stone, who I've only gigged with a couple of times, but instantly big fan. He's He's a proper joke writer, and I'm always in awe of them because I think that's a that's just one of those rare, beautiful skills. I think he's extremely funny. Um, but is it is a joke writer to write for the first slot, like proper jokes, because yeah. if it doesn't fly, no, At I, least, I think we'd be fine. But I'm I mean, you know, if, if Rachel goes Sarah and you go William, because then with a joke writer as well, what it can do is it can pull focus. Yeah. Yes. Joke, you yeah, stop yeah. saying to the crowd, you better fucking buckle up and listen, because otherwise this is going to yeah. be a long night for yeah. you. Yeah. Good choice, yeah. great choices. Uh, so we go for a break. We come back. The mid, who, who would go on in the middle? I'd have um, a bit of variety. Yes, please. Um, Here we go. I'm going to go with uh, Harry and Chris. Oh, they're funny as hell. Who they are, are funny, those guys. Duo, yeah. And they, I just think they're so lovely and yeah. funny like yeah. very funny very good at the music they do just do something a bit different as well mm-hmm. gives the audience like a really different vibe i just find that i find watching them is really joyful mm-hmm. um so yeah i'd go see so also flo and joan obviously flo and joan as well fantastic yeah. uh um tom ward as well i've only gigged with a couple of times but he does some really different stuff he's really yeah yeah, but no, I think you're right. I think the sort of mixing it up, a good musical act in the middle, Harry. Tom's a ferocious talent as well. He's wonderful. I mean, the sh- I mean, the share bit is, I mean, that's... Uh, that's astonishing. It's going to go down with like, any gig, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's truly great. One of the things I love about uh, Harry and Chris and Flo and Joan as well, you, you know, we all, we all like to think we're going to guess where the bit is going. And with yeah. both those guys, I'm I'm always wrong. You know, they take it in weird and wonderful directions, yeah. don't they? Mm-hmm. And that they're flowing... also they're very they put a lot of work into the songwriting and practicing. Like that's why it's you know it's slick, um, mm. which makes a big difference. Like I do think that there's obviously a lot to be said for musical comedy that's very go with the flow and it all sounds improvised and it you know that's fun as well. But mm. I, I I think that you get a different level of enjoyment out of like, oh, you've rehearsed this. <laughs> like, yeah. Carefully written this and rehearsed yeah. it. And it's um, Flo and Joan particularly, I think it's really obvious that they've spent ages like being precisely doing exact harmonies, knowing that bit crisply, knowing the exact words and getting everything perfect between the two of them. So that as an act, you know, it hangs together with this level of perfection that's really satisfying. Mm. Some of their harmonies, I, I feel like the... 
the Gid brothers would be applauding. You know, they, yeah. they really <laughs> absolutely. Uh, also, one of my favourite things in comedy is Flo and Joan, and you two do this as well. And it's very endearing and, and so funny, ma- uh, making each other laugh. Yeah, yeah. And one of them cracks up. Forget it. Yeah, the, other one, the other one goes as well. Uh, I would say I'd, I'd say that's a bl- that is a blistering. Uh, that's a blistering middle section. That that Flo and Joan song, I drank too much. I mean, it's so, it's yeah. so funny, isn't it? Yeah, and Carol the Cracker Packer. Oh, it's oh amazing. Gosh. I've seen them do that at festivals so many times. Carol the Cracker Packer. She packs a cracking pack of crackers. She's I can't even do it slowly. Yeah, and I've seen audiences try and sing along with it, and <laughs> no chance. Incredible, wonderful, right? Superb. Go for a break. Come back. Who is clo- who's closing this bad boy? Oh man! Oh. Depends. Uh, depends so much on the room, doesn't it? You know, the, the room and the night and all the rest of it. I, I mean, I mean, you've mentioned Al Murray. Al Murray, yes, maybe Rosie Jones, yeah, maybe Bill Bailey. Like, I was lucky enough many years ago to be the support act for Bill Bailey, and I went and watched him every single night. I never, I never left. I just would stay and watch. And I remain 20 years later, absolutely in awe. I saw him at the Hay Literary Festival at, uh, a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic. And he did 90 minutes and he didn't swear once. And every single utterance and every tune he played was gloriously funny. And we regularly, don't we, just watch put, clips put on Bill Bailey, you know. He's so funny. Uh, I mean, also, we both love John Mulaney if we were going down the non-British route. Yeah. Um, Pick whoever you like. Man, he's funny. Amazing. Like, so, so good. John Mulaney, I nearly brought this up earlier, John Mulaney, in terms of when you think about the babysitter, etc. when you're at the gig, and he said he was at a gig uh, years ago, and he was on that night, and he overheard a couple, and I don't think they, could have, they couldn't afford a drink or they couldn't afford a meal. There was something, what was apparent was that they, they had no money and obviously... Buying the tickets for the show was a big deal, and Mulaney said when he heard that he was he was like, "Yeah, it's important that I deliver every single show because for people, mm. as you say, you're factoring the babysitter. They might have left work early. They might have driven a long way to be there. So you sort mm. of again without bursting into tears, you owe it to these guys, don't you? To yeah, uh, to, yeah, to, yeah, you know. absolutely, absolutely. And there's a sort of there's a, a weird space as a comic that you have to occupy and people do this. Every individual comic does this in a different way of being on it, being really focused and ready to deliver, but also loose and also open to the way that a room is different. You can't just rock up with your rock solid tour show and go, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. And it's the same every time, you know, you have to be in this weird place. Andrew Maxwell, who's a very good mate. I love him to bits, been close for years. He remains for me like a very joyful stand up to, to watch because he really occupies it. He's really kind of, sits in that place of a vast breadth of knowledge and also very in the moment and you know but there's like on any given night there's loads of people like that we're lucky he's, he's extraordinary so it's a so rachel would go Mulaney. uh what i mean just a phenomenal talent uh, I, I you know i love hearing all the snl stories 
Uh, so Brigstock, who would you would you go with Bailey then or Murray, or indeed Rosie? Maybe I, mm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say Bill Bailey. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say in the end Bill Bailey because yeah, because Bill Bailey. Bailey also has that thing, and I think you two probably have this as well, where the audience of a Bill Bailey crowd would be. 17 to 80 I imagine and everything everything in between and everyone loves him just as much yeah absolutely yeah but there are as I said you know on any given night it could be a whole bunch of of different people and you know that's why I mentioned Tom Ward and William Stone they were a couple of comics who I did just a couple of gigs with before the pandemic hit who I'd never gigged with before and was just absolutely delighted to be in the company of brilliantly funny people whose work I didn't know at all, you know, because there's loads of comics. I did a gig with Ian Stone the other day and I've known Ian since I first started and he's always been extremely funny, but like he's absolutely cooking on gas at the moment. Mm. He's sitting, he's right in the pocket of like very comfortable on stage, and making brilliant, I'd say complicated routines seem absolutely easy, breezy, and effortless. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Both these gigs, uh, or, or you know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a joint gig, it's a mega bill. Either way, these are wonderful lineups. Now, is there an incident that you would love to happen, i.e. your favourite inc- ever incident from a gig? Greatest moments at a gig. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, so I had a routine which explained, accurately explained, how Goldman Sachs had positioned Greece so that Greece was capable of joining the euro. Goldman Sachs treated Greece as if it was a company and they hid their sovereign debt in the same way you would hide a company's debts in various structures and all the rest of it, which then enabled Greece to enter this the single currency, which they never should have done. And I wrote a routine about it and I was previewing it and I thought, this is a stretch because this is quite complicated there's no two ways about this this is a complicated bit 
And uh, the way that it shook down was it was that Greece had been snuck into a nightclub that they were too young to go into and weren't wearing the right clothes. Right, <laughs> Mate, amazing. And then when they got in there, it turned out the DJ was German and the music was a lot faster than they were expecting. Right. It was a good bit, but it was complicated. Yeah. I was previewing it and I, I said, listen, no shame. Does anyone here work in finance? And a guy in the front row reluctantly and sheepishly put his hand up. And I, I went, okay, all right, well, good for you. People don't tend to admit that. Who do you work for? And he said, uh, well, currently Goldman Sachs. And I went, oh, okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. And sorry, mate, I'm just um, hearing, is that a bit of an accent? Where are you from? He said, I'm from Greece. Oh. And then I did the routine in its entirety for the first time. I'd only just written it. And it, it did become a big part of, of my set. It's on my DVD and everything. But it never went better than that night when people genuinely went, I mean, the guy, he worked for Goldman Sachs and he was Greek. And then this comedian, he did like 10 minutes on how Greece had. And I literally like inside, I was like, I don't, how has this happened? A Greek guy who works for Goldman Sachs. So that was one of those rare serendipitous moments. And actually, uh, particularly because it was a really complicated routine, it, it definitely had a big question mark hanging over it. Will this stay in for the tour show? Because maybe it's too big of an ask f- for an audience. And that moment allowed me to cement that routine as being always worth doing. So, yeah, it was great. Also, anyone anyone listening to this who goes to comedy gigs will have heard that story and would have thought to themselves, that is why I go to comedy gigs for those for those moments of magic yeah. that are unrepeat. You know they're they're unreplicatable. Not a word. Yeah. You couldn't replicate that anywhere else. That 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 moment of magic. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's odd how those things do those things do come up. You know, and very pleasing that it was a very positive moment i've sometimes been spurred into a routine by someone you know heckling and being a bit of a knob and then you know and it then it feels like a victory but this felt like like a party that's know? great that's that's beautiful <laughs> i've had a proposal perfect as in not not of me as in ostentatious we uh, were asked if a man could use our gig to propose to his girlfriend, uh, and we did. So we during the Sam Patton, the sort of, um, you know, uh, Jane Austen expert character who introduces and closes the show, at the end of the show, uh, we said, thank you so much uh, for coming to the show. Just before we go, we believe we have, um, I can't remember exactly what we said, but, you know, we believe that we have another uh, vital piece of romantic news. And we're going to pass over now to Jonathan. Uh, And yeah, he proposed and she said yes in front of everyone. Thank God. Thank God. And it was really, it was really, really lovely. And also he'd given us a few things to um, weave in, like her name, Oh. Uh, and like the name of their pets and like a place where they had their first date into the plot. So uh, I knew it was all pre-written. <laughs> I was going to say, you got an email after the gig. I am sickened that you hired by this a fake couple. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, is there an incident you'd love to erase? So, so your your least favorite ever incident from a gig. Uh, what I mean by that is, it must not happen at this dream gig that you put together. I'll give you a very short but very serious answer to that first, and that is a thing is a thing has been happening for a number of years, and it's not heckling. I never mind heckling. It's that people don't understand when they have a chat that it wrecks it. And I think it's got worse since we've all had phones and social media. It feels to me like people are less aware of other people around them. And a few times, instead of going for the heckle put down, I've just stopped and just called someone out and gone, can you see that all around you are other people and, and, and and that how you behave really matters and that what you're doing right now is spoiling it for them. And everyone's waiting for the, you know, the hammer to drop, the big, the big punchline and the big insult. And I don't, and I just go, you're, you're ruining this and you're, you're behaving in a way that suggests you don't understand that it's important that other people exist. And, um, and that in a way is kind of what's wrong with everything everywhere. That's as near as I get to a, a, to a joke about it. But that's a very serious answer to the question. What must oh, not happen? I, I once saw Ben Norris at a gig. Same thing. Someone was chatting, and Ben, this was great. Ben Norris just stopped talking, looked at this person, and said, uh, "I know it looks like I'm just up here chatting, but do you have any idea how much work has gone into getting this good?" And the rest of the r- round of applause from the room. I probably made that sound more arrogant than it was, and it wasn't. He just no, he, no, he, no. He nailed the delivery on it, and he's just sort of. He shamed this person into yeah. shutting up. Yeah. I mean, there's chat about that at the moment, about how audiences apparently are struggling to sort of remember how to behave. And not just at comedy gigs, a lot of musicians have been saying that like people, the volume people talk through shows is is really weird. And I, I'd like to think that it was sort of it's a post-pandemic thing and it'll write itself eventually. What must not happen? I, I mean. I won't say his name, but you'll know who I mean by a promoter who runs uh, a uh, almost open mic gig in North London, introducing me several times. I'd been at his club, introducing me repeatedly as, well, I'm not sure who she is, but she's very pretty. So please give her a hand. (laughs) Variations on that. So, um, I oh can't remember God. her name, but she's got a keyboard. So please welcome on stage this girl. Oh, <laughs> my, my, my cheeks are clenching that much. I've, I've, I've eaten my seat. Welcome this attractive lady. <laughs> I, I think there's also been, hasn't there? Um, uh, I'm going to bring a female up now. Sorry. I'm going to bring a female act up now, but I have been reassured she's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. There's a there's a solid fella on to close. I mean, make it stop, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've had catastrophic moments on stage, but I've I, I sort of, with hindsight, find them very joyful. I mean, one was when the uh, when the Iraq War was on. I found myself at odds with audiences quite often. And um, uh, there was a night in Birmingham when a guy was so angry with me, he took off his prosthetic leg and threw it at me. <laughs> so I got kicked from from like over 10 feet away. 
And I was so thrown by what happened. I didn't really make much of it, you know. I should have done a Jake the Peg routine when it was still acceptable to do a Rolf Harris. You know? <laughs> um, but I didn't. I sort of gave the leg back and went, Ugh. Anyway, John Bishop was the host of that show. And John then went on, became very famous, toured, played big venues. And he told an audience a couple of years later about this moment where this posh London comedian had had a leg thrown at him. And I went on at the same venue a week or two later. And as I walked on, a guy on the right-hand side of the audience went, here, is it true you once had a leg thrown at you? Right at the top of the show. And I was like, well, yeah, actually. It it happened again. What? Uh, And Yeah, yeah, John had set it up. So this guy found a guy with a prosthetic (laughs) leg. And he did it again, threw one at me from the other side of the stage. So I've amazing. As heckles go, I've I've been hit by half a man. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. But I, you know, I think it's very joyful. That is joyful. And that's the sort of playful thing that Bish would do as well. He he would love yeah. that. Yeah. I've had um Obviously, my act when I'm doing music, which I usually am, relies on a few technical things. And what is exhausting is uh, impressing on the either promoter or technician how vital some of those things are. And they don't need to be fancy. They just need to be there and function. And otherwise, I'll bring my own, which do function. And I've done... I can't tell you how many gigs where there's either one wire missing, which means I literally cannot perform that night. That's all it takes. And they'll often like say, oh, no, I'm sure everything will be fine. Just come and we'll work it out when you get here. Or they'll go, yeah, pretty sure we've got that. Yeah, pretty sure we've got that. And I'm like, if you you get there and they haven't got it and you're like, well, now I literally can't I can't do my act then. So what I've had that I would not want to repeat is they've got a boom mic stand. I can't tell you how many times this happened, but I'm referring to one specific incident, a boom mic stand, which the tightening device has gone. And so it very slowly dips down. (laughs) And that is like a very funny thing to happen, but it does mean you literally can't perform your act. You've got both hands on the piano. You can't hold the mic. What are you going to do? So what has happened more than once, but the first time happened was I've had an audience member very kindly crouch down (laughs) in front of the keyboard for 20 minutes and hold a microphone up to my face. And that's the only way we could get through the gig. Wow. Um, It's not great for them. It's not great for me because everyone, instead of laughing at my jokes, is laughing at the poor trembling audience member. So for me, I would commit to the depths of never happening again. Uh, Taking a random example, um, a boom mic stand very, very, very slowly descending during my song. Wonderful. Right, the very last thing, how do you unwind? Is there a post-gig TV show or post-gig movie or an audiobook, whatever it might be, how how do you take the edge off typically after a gig? When we get home, this is not just, um, this is unwinding generally, I would say before bed, is we cuddle up in bed and watch videos of skiing or sports fails yeah. <laughs> on Marcus's phone. Like I cuddle up with him with my head closed ears and we watch fail videos on his mobile. Beautiful. That's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's really nice. Sometimes it's very it's, joyful. Sometimes it's like videos of um, uh, men building huts. Yeah, uh, and uh, we've all seen those. The, the sped pool. up ones of uh, a man in Indonesia. 
digging an underground palace using a piece of bamboo and then lining it with bamboo and it being a sort of sauna as well. It's astonishing. Sometimes it's food videos, like how to make, but just like quite mundane, but pleasing, satisfying, calming videos scrolling through them together yeah. before we give it on the watch repair videos no what? but that sounds Ooh. right up our street very relaxing there's a there's a there's a watch from the vietnam war and it is it's basically a lump of charcoal and this guy restores it back to its former glory it's going to be googling that straight yeah after. Oh, 100%. youtube gold uh rachel marcus as always, huge and heartfelt thanks. That was that was wonderful, uh, Tim. Tim WhatsApp. Tim and I have the, we we do this a lot. We'll WhatsApp each other during a show, whether it's online or in person. And Tim WhatsApp mid record to say this is great. So oh, uh, lovely. Imagine imagine if I'd said something else there. Tim WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. Say, this is not good. To say uh, I haven't pressed record. So um, just sent you the scissors emoji fifty times. <laughs> We're going to have to absolutely ribbon this dog shit. <laughs> so, uh, so before we go, I think everyone follows you on the socials, but if they don't, what what are your handles for the socials? Uh, at Marcus Brig on Twitter, and I I'm also on Instagram. I don't really still know how Instagram works, but I'm on it. I am at Rachel Paris on Twitter and at Rachel S V Paris on Instagram. Yeah, I think we're all the same. We're, 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 do we feel too old for TikTok? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. A, a, a mate of mine said that he'd been talking to his agent recently, and his agent was saying, you know, you've really got to get on TikTok and da da da. And he he listened and he went, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And then he and then he said, I had a sort of moment of clarity, and I said, you know what? I'm a comedian and I I write comedy and I perform comedy, and it if the only route to that is via this you know constantly just making anything on tiktok if that's the only way then maybe i don't want this anymore guys just thank you so much for your time lots of love that was wonderful rachel paris and marcus brigstock yes as tuesday night club as a as a double act they reign supreme however as individual performers uh, they are also pure class if you get the chance to see them as we plugged up top then you must take that chance with both hands um tim your favorite memories of rachel paris and marcus brigstock it's so difficult because (laughs) there was a time where i've seen them every week for let's say two years so it's so hard to pick one but so, so I'm going to pick three because I've got three in my head. That's nice. Uh, one, Graham Norton. We discussed it in the intro. Just surreal and incredible to to watch at home. To watch one of the biggest chat shows on earth. Discuss. Always be comedy. We're hearing the words James Gill said by Graham Norton. Beautiful. That Yeah. Forever etched on our brains, him. Number two, even more straightforward, Tuesday Nightclub as a concept. Every Tuesday, I knew I was doing at eight o'clock, and it was perfect. It's the perfect lockdown entertainment, if I may say so. And from a mental health point of view as well, having that thing 
to look forward to or even even from just having that thing in the diary every Tuesday eight o'clock knowing it was Tuesday nightclub was a, a wonderful wonderful thing yes routine was so important in lockdown and when your routine involves watching Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock uh pal around for two hours it's a lovely thing so good so such naturals right yeah number three number three most recently uh, Marcus very kindly got my mum and a friend a ticket to his tour show in Teddington. And my mum said it was the best stand-up show she's ever been to. And that is, and that's number three. Wonderful. And that's so lovely. And Marcus must never know that that's the only time she's ever seen a stand-up show. <laughs> that was a real dad gag. I, I, hope, I hope the listener was rolling their eyes at that one. Yes, James, very good. Um, what a lovely three. I, well, well, I would say for Rachel, who is a such a good pal, I would say there was one time a headliner had pulled out at chillingly short notice and Rachel Paris was recording Pointless. And what Rachel did to save the gig was to get her, her car from the recording to drop her off at Always Be Comedy so that she could close always be comedy and she you know the classic thing of a good deed about you know um they didn't have to do it but they still did it anyway and that is that is a a, a top drawer example of that and a measure of uh, the person rachel is marcus brigstock i would just it, it was more of a a general thing and it's just his friendship uh he's also a sober dude and so just becoming pals with the guy um him getting me onto Prosecco. <laughs> Sorry, not Prosecco. <laughs> that would be... <laughs> That's the last thing you would have done. Getting me onto No Secco. I've made myself blush. As the, as the listener thinks, mm, you don't sound very sober there. Um, sorry, Tim can see my cheeks are, uh, are flushing with shame. He got me onto No Secco. Uh, and if, you, if, you're, if you're a fellow teetotaler, uh, the... the, the the non-alcoholic world has changed so much because back in the day you could have water, you, you couldn't really drink pop or else you, you'd, you'd go mad with all the e-numbers or you'd drink, say, Caliber, right? I'm, I'm not going to say anything disparaging about Caliber because you never know where that next... Is Caliber still a thing? It can't still be a can't thing. Be. Can't. We're finding out in real time, is Caliber still a thing? Caliber Lager. It looks like it might still be a thing. Potential sponsor? That's why I didn't want to say anything negative. Because <laughs> you never know. If, you, if at the start of a future episode, there's me and Tim. <laughs> ah, that's delicious caliber. Um, always be caliber. Always. <laughs> always be caliber. Uh, I feel like I've let Marcus down there. That's not a very good special memory, but it's the one I'm going to go with. Um, a very, very likable dude. And again, Tim, it's that sort of thing of someone when we were growing up, and I'm sorry, I'm not outing Marcus to be like 87 years old, but before I got into comedy, you know, we all know who Marcus Brigstock is. And then to become not just pals, but like really good pals with a dude that, I mean, I'll, I'll always look up to him, but a dude that you... Uh, greatly admired before you. I, I know that we sound like, I know we come across as like, oh, gee whiz and all oh, shucks and all that, but um, <laughs> please, <laughs> I'm beating myself up as I say that, but please know it is authentic that we are a couple of gee whiz or oh, shucks kind of guys. Uh, but I hope it's, 
I hope you know that it's genuine Jeewees or Shucks rather than, um, I don't want to say that word false modesty, that, that term false modesty once again. Um, but that's what we're going with. Anyway, I'm waffling about my love of Marcus Briggs talk. And if they're interested in sponsoring the podcast, cool, crisp, delicious Calibre Lager. Oh, also correspondence. Yes, if, there was, if there was a if there was a, a, a pause there where I sounded like I was panicking in, re, in real time, that is literally what was happening because I couldn't find the correspondence, but I have it now. I, I apologise, Ant, if I'm mispronouncing your name. Uh, tell you what, we'll just go with Ant M because then at least I'm not. If I, maybe you don't want your full name. Tim, let's do it. Is it Ant Mexies? It's Ant Mexies. Oh, well, God. well, well. I'm as confident as you are. No, you sound more confident. Let's go with it. Uh, Ant Mexies, dear James and Tim. Thank you for your podcast. If, by the way, if you're new to the podcast, what's happened is episode one and two, the first few episodes, we were very reticent to read out praise, right? You, you could actually hear us. Uh, it was causing us physical anguish. It was causing physical pain almost to read out this positivity. And then what's happened as the weeks have progressed, it turns out we're addicted to praise. Um, thank you for your podcast. I'm loving it. And thank you. I'm an open micer in Perth, Australia, mate. This is this is beautiful. Yeah. I help run a couple of open mic rooms. Really helpful to hear the perspective of professional comedians. Did your room start as an open mic room or was it always a room for pros? Great question. When we launched it 12 years ago, my aim at the time, or what I perhaps deludedly told myself, was that it wasn't an open mic room. Because what I felt was there was a bit of a gap I'd been doing the open mic circuit and a lot of those rooms are, are tough. And I thought there was a, that the, we comedians needed a gig where it was some sort of in between the open mic circuit and the full on pro nights. So there is a bit of a gap there where you, some acts are perhaps, oh, I shouldn't say too good, but some acts are probably better than the open mic circuit, but yet not quite ready for the full on pro nights. And that's what the night was supposed to be. When I look back, I would have to admit it was probably more open mic than if you'd said that to me at the time, I think I'd have got very upset when I look back now and think about some of the, some of the things that happened, <laughs> it was, it probably was open mic. And then as the years progressed, uh, I guess the, the, the watermark, just kept getting higher and higher to the extent where, as we record this, the past two nights, we've had Kevin Bridges and Jack D, two of the greatest comedians to ever hold a mic. And if you told me that that, and again, this is not false modesty. I say that way too much, but <laughs> which suggests that maybe it is, but I really hope it, my intention is that it's not. If you'd obviously, if you said that to me back in the day, that one night you'd have subsequent nights of Kevin Bridges and Jack D, you, you know, you would, you absolutely wouldn't would never have believed it. Whereas uh, Tim, it's not getting carried away to say that that sort of thing is, and I say this while performing the sign of the cross and praying, that sort of thing is, is dare I say it, uh, the norm, quite a regular thing. Um, and we, we mean that matter of fact, Tim, is that fair? Of course, that's totally fair. I think that's okay, isn't it? That's good. I hope so. Exactly. Like any comedian, if, if you start speaking positively about yourself, you should be breaking out into a cold sweat, really, you know, because <laughs> you, you've always got to undercut everything with a joke or self-deprecation. And uh, I think me admitting to my neurosis hopefully covers that. So they've also curated their dream gig. Right. MC, Stephen K. Amos, opener, uh, Jocasta, our, our boy, uh, 
James Acaster, uh, my God, a, a ferocious talent, a unique comic mind, a dynamite performer, one of the best comedians I've ever seen in my life and uh, an honour to call him uh, a, a good pal. Uh, in the middle, Stuart Lee, my God, um, former guest on the pod. Check out that episode if you want to know how much Tim and I love Stuart. Um, yeah, incredible. And to close, Daniel Kitson. I, what I would say, Ant, you've put together one one heck of a bill there. Absolutely. Uh, that would be a, a magical night. We have another gem up our sleeves next week. Ah, now please rate, review, subscribe. It makes an insane amount of difference. So leave those lovely reviews. We'll, we'll, we will... We will do our darndest to read them out on the episode. Uh, please send in your dream comedy lineups. Uh, and yes, rate, review, subscribe. It helps with the algorithm. Do I fully understand it? No, not really. But uh, yeah, if you haven't dropped us a five-star review yet, please do us a solid and do just that. Tim, anything else? I think you've covered it. Next week, episode 10, a landmark. Oh, that's nice. That's a lovely bit of business. Next week, episode 10. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. On behalf of Tim and myself, lots of love. If you want to find out more about the night, we are at alwaysbecomedy.com. Uh, across the socials, alwaysbecomedy. I am at James Gill Comedy. So if you've made it through this far, we salute you because I've really waffled on it. Tim, what are you across the socials, my love? Uh, Tim Lewis underscore on Twitter. Tim Lewis, Tim Lewis on Instagram. Have you seen any sort of spike following the plugs? Uh, personally, uh, <laughs> maybe not a spike, uh, a hill, <laughs> a mountain. <laughs> a hill? Mate, that, getting to that hill has made my waffling worthwhile. That was wonderful. You, it, if it's not a spike and it is a hill, I can assure you, my friend, you've, you, you took me to the top of Comedy Everest there. That was wonderful. Uh, lots of love. Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye-bye-bye.